All right, hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 44. On today's episode, I've got Aaron Finnell, and he was gracious enough to fill in for a, for a couple of guests I had that had to bounce out the last minute. So, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here again. And, yep. you know, Aaron Finnell and gracious is two things that just go hand in hand. Yeah, yep. like uh, meatballs and lamb chops, right? Yeah, like lamb, lamb and tuna fish. oh god um i think i'll start it off this way so we've got everything lined out for the 2018 uh moving iron summit in las vegas uh we have we've got the uh hotels all locked down we're going to be at the flamingo hotel they're right on the strip and uh so going to be ought to be have plenty of plenty of good stuff to do there and and uh, hopefully have a lot of a lot of good networking and interaction going with everybody. So check out movingironllc.com for uh, for more registration information. I hopefully have a lot of stuff up here and by the uh, in the next couple of weeks, and we can get that stuff rolling. So um, get, looking at some some pretty good speakers this year. So when I have more information, I'll be posting that stuff on the uh, on the website, and I'll be you know talking about it on the on the podcast as well. So that uh hopefully keep that thing moving man and to everybody's in case anybody's curious i will not be a speaker <laughs> typically typically i am not allowed in formal settings to speak freely i just prefer that you not talk as much as possible that's right that's right i'm the so guy what, in the back of the room that everybody glares at and goes <laughs> so what's uh what's been going on in the wholesale world buddy Oh, the wholesale world. You know, honestly, it's been pretty pretty decent. Um, it seems like dealer interaction is, quite honestly, really high um, as far as trading with dealers, uh, dealers looking for stuff. It seems like there's just a lot of that going on right now. Um, the wholesale, true wholesale world, auction yards, machinery, flippers, that thing is has been pretty quiet. Um, little activity there as far as stuff that they're kind of looking for, but I think there's, there's at least, you know, for, for where I'm at on a bunch of stuff, <coughs> excuse me, quite a, quite a gap. Um, and where they want to be and where stuff is at. And I don't know how that will continue on or not, but uh I feel like I feel like that that world is a little slower um compared to the dealer to dealer world. Right. And, you know, quite frankly, I think there is a uh Maybe the gap between the two worlds is narrowing. You know, as no, far yeah, you, as you see auction values and stuff like that, and how they're kind of coming together more with what right. you see. I mean, it's more of a auction values have kind of turned more into what uh, you know a whole a true wholesale value. What you would see between dealers more than you would see just you know. There's usually that gap between auction value, then there's a wholesale value, then there's a retail value. You know, and there's that auction and wholesale really kind of merged together. Well, and quite frankly, 
all three of them are pretty close anymore. Yeah, there's not that, that percentage is really it's narrowed up, and I've talked about it in a, a blog post I had the other day about the narrowing of of auction values to retail values, and how that's narrowed up from you know 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. How you might have a three hundred thousand dollar, two hundred fifty thousand dollar combine out there, and the auction value was one hundred sixty thousand bucks, right? And how that's really kind of narrowed down now to where you have a hundred thirty, hundred forty thousand dollar combine at auction, and it's selling for one hundred sixty-five, hundred eighty thousand dollars at on the retail side, which is really shows you that there's not much volatility left in the marketplace. That we've really stable out, stabilized the the market, and things have come together well. Yeah, yeah. Was that the one you had that was titled Paradigm Shift? Paradigm shift. Yeah, that was it. I, I didn't read it because I saw that fancy word and I was like, oh boy. My eyes glazed over and I uh, tapped out. But yeah, I, mean, I might not even use it in the right context, but who knows? But it, hell, it looks good. It's fancy. It's got yeah. a. It's got some. I got a G in there and H and stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Vanna. Um. Yeah, I, and you're you're right, and all. I mean, I, I'm i a very firm believer in all three of those prices just keep getting closer and closer and closer. And, you know, the good thing about that is there used to be, oh, you used to have a handful of dealers, you know, that everybody's like, God, how do they do that? Man, they're aggressive. Geez, look at that price. They're screwing everything up. And, and as, you know, blame it on the Internet or what have you, but uh, – People across the country, regardless of make, everybody's paying attention to that more and more, and making it oh, more of a more of a broad sweep, you know, as far as stuff kind of getting in line. You don't see you. There's still some dealers out there with you know a four hundred thousand dollar used combine, which never will exist as far as I'm concerned. But uh, you know, there's there is. Uh, just by and large, everybody's kind of getting on the same page, yeah. sort of, kind of, a little bit. Yeah. Back to your earlier point, we were talking about working with dealers and, and, and bringing, filling holes and stuff like that. There are a lot of holes in a lot of different segments of equipment across dealer lots, if you look at it. I mean, they'll, be, they'll have, you know, a bunch of new combines and nothing in the middle or a bunch of stuff in the middle and nothing on either end, or they don't have uh, – the row crop tractor that they're looking for. They've got a bunch of smaller, uh, smaller horsepower uh, row crop tractors and, and and none of the bigger ones. You know, and it's just this, the swings in the marketplace you're seeing now is, is lack. Oh, I hate I hate saying lack of inventory. That's not true. There's plenty of inventory out there. But lack of the correct inventory. Yeah, lack of the right stuff that's there. Right. And, I mean, you know. And, and quite honestly, it's not even the low model late hour. There's plenty of that out there, and there's plenty of that out there in the right stuff. Right. It just seems like you take 20 dealers, you know, throw a dart at a board, 20 dealers, and 15 of them have the same damn inventory holes. Yeah. That's, that's, that is the problem kind of across across America right now, and, and even Canada, same thing. Yeah. But I but I feel like there's more of those holes here than there is in Canada. And may, yeah. maybe those maybe those guys are 
they're just smarter and better at it. Well, that's that could be that could be true. It could also be that they have a completely different. It's a different market set. I don't know how to explain it, but there's you're right. You know, as, you know what? Honestly, as as similar as it is, it's still very different. Yeah, there's. You know, we've had, we've had Alex Lone on here a couple of times from his and, and well, once, I guess. And the guy like Dallas Smith and, and the guy from Western uh, Western Tractors, they all have, it's just what, there's enough, there's, a, there's enough basic principles between the United States and Canada. When you look at, look at the markets that exist that you could say, oh yeah, these things are homogenous and it all works together. But there's still just enough stuff there that's different that it it makes it completely different. You see what I'm saying? Right. So it's it's a it's just a different marketplace and a different area that that kind of across the board. Well, you know what's funny about that too. Speaking of different markets, is you know hung around with Dallas quite a bit there in Nashville at the hashtag Moving Iron Summit, and the uh, you know I, I was surprised. You, you think of Canada, other than other than maybe Ontario. And you think everything is just wide open, and yeah, maybe a little corn, and yeah, maybe maybe we're flirting with group negative seven soybeans or something way up there, you know. And and it's it's everything's huge and wide open, and it's just wheat and canola and a couple other things sprinkled in. And you know, he was like, "Oh no, all all, all of our ADRs have skinny tires," and I'm like, "What on earth?" You know, because. They're just right across the border, and they're big potatoes and everything else. And it's just, it's surprising when you really drill down into things, and not necessarily dealer to dealer, but that dealer's store by store, you know. And we run into that with just 16 stores that are all contiguous. But, I mean, there is vastly different stuff in about three different pockets of that market. So, yeah, and that's that's a good thing for for dealerships to have that kind of diversity in their in their crop mix, right? Because they can, you know, you go from, well, like us, so you have, we can take a lot of our combines and push them down into wheat country, and 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 really push that those those machines down there. You can also do the same thing with four wheel drives. You know, like we don't, you get up to north, <clears throat> the north part of our territory, we hardly ever sell any of any kind of volume. Of right. four wheel drive tractors, but if we need to use one, we got down south. Those guys have all that stuff. We can push it up north, you know. So it's nice having that diversity and that crop mix and in the different layers that are there, whether it be sugar beets or you know some of the specialty stuff we run into with potato uh, potatoes and and some onion stuff around Fort Morgan and those kind of things, you know. Right. It really brings out. Opens up a lot of doors for our, for our equipment across all of our segment lines. Yeah. Yep. Very true. So first quarter 2018 drawing through here, and it's been pretty cold. There's not a lot of positive play coming out of the market right now as far as commodity prices go, but there still seems to be a lot of activity. I'm still leaning on the fact that it's guys have basically used up their machines and are facing them some critical uh, reconditioning costs, and I think they're going to be forcing themselves to buy stuff because not because they want to, because they have to, or make payments and shop bill at the same time. So guys you talk to across the country, you hear, you hear uh, similar 
similar dealings, or am I all wet there? No, I I think you're right. You know what I've noticed? As soon as you started saying, you know, guys across the country, worked on a lot of deals this week and got a lot of deals this week with uh, guys that are, they're just looking for a deal. Right. You know, the the everything is right in front of them out there as far as finding a machine or you know what what their stuff is truly worth and there's a lot of really smart guys and eyes open out there that you know I talked to a fella just today working on a combine with him and he's got a you know one of them classic 2012 S series with 2000 separator on it right and he's like, I said, well, are you looking at trading that, you know, and kind of cringing? <laughs> and he, right. says, he says, well, he says, I was going to ask you that. He says, I'm not opposed to selling it myself. And I, it, it was an S660. And I said, and we do very, very little S660 business within the territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and up until Sinclair, I thought they were dead across the world, but apparently not. There um, seems to be quite an appetite for him. <laughs> yeah, either that or all eight guys that bought them in America were there that day. That could have been it. <clears throat> but we're sitting there talking, you know. He's got a two-wheel drive S660 with 2000 SEP on it, a 12, and I'm just like, man. And he says, well, I'm not opposed to selling it myself. What do you think I should do? I said, honestly, I said, and and he's not right next door. So I told him, I said, honestly, on your combine, there's three numbers. I said, there's what I'm going to give you, which is less than what auction is. And then there's what you're going to sell it for yourself. I said, the greatest thing that you could do in this whole getting a different combine scenario is you decided I might as well sell it myself. I said, and you're exactly right. You've had that combine for over 1,500 separator hours. You know every creak and crack and, you know, tweak and everything in that machine. You can sell that to anybody, whether you think you're a salesman or not. You know the machine, you know, that's 95% of the battle. Mm -hmm. I said, and you're going to get more than auction for it. And the reason I'm going to give you less than auction on that combine is because, A, the machine you asked about is, you know, it's a wholesale machine already. So... I got no room left to blow sunshine at you. And furthermore, I have no market for that combine. I'm going to have to take it to auction, and I'm not going to do it for free. You know, and he was like, that is, he says, I am so glad you said that. He said, that's exactly what I was thinking in my head. He says, why would I just give you the machine? And I said, that's exactly right. I said, you're willing to sell it yourself? I said, that's, you know, 95% of the battle. And there and there's a lot of guys that way. I sold a couple other combines this week, and those guys they were cash buyers. They sold their own machine to someone you know fairly local to them, and it it feels like you know, especially with combines and talking to guys. Oh, say the last month and a half of the year. So so say the last two months solid. Talking to guys all over the country, there is a lot of that going on, and specifically with combines. Well, yeah, it seems like, guys, I've heard the same thing. More and more people are selling their own stuff. A lot of it's paid for that they're selling, so right. they're they're not really impacting their balance sheet as far as 
you know, increasing their debt load or anything like that. And actually, they buy what they need to get, and then they push it out there. No, the well, and, I, and I sold one today to a guy that that sold his own machine, you know. Yeah. And he says, "Well, I sold mine for 150." And he says, "I'm going to take." He says, "I think I owed 75." He says, "I'm going to take that other 75 and put it on this, and let and it'll be gone, and you know, so on and so forth." And he said, "I," he said, "Honestly, he says I like knowing that." I know where every dollar goes as opposed to, well, if I trade it in and, you know, you got this number blown up so mine looks better and all that, he says, he says this, he says doing it this way is nuts and bolts. Yeah. And I said, that's exactly right. And that's personally how I, I like to roll. Yeah. So I don't, I get kind of irritated with the, Jumping through hoops and that game it just doesn't fit my personality very well. <laughs> uh, that's an understatement. Um, understatement. Nothing. I'm I'm really starting to pay attention to more. Just not that you can really measure it or anything. But so you get you come across customers and they say I'm looking for a X Y Z tractor and then there's like 15 things after that they want it to have. Yeah, and they're going to they're yeah. hold out for that that unicorn until they find right. it, right? So, when you deal with the guys you work with, you see similar similar situations, and and then the people you talk to are they telling you kind of the same thing? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, and I think you mentioned it uh, on the recent podcast that Kyle and I are both on. Yeah, you know that guys are like, well, it used to be. You know, kind of the same thing you're saying now. I, I I was a new buyer. I used to be a used buyer. And then we had a, you know, real healthy influx of cash, and I became a, a new buyer. Well, now I'm back to being a used buyer. But when they bought that new tractor, they got to pick everything they wanted on it, every right. little thing. Yep. And that has really stuck with them because, you know, yeah, that, that tractor's got 4,000 hours, and I want another one, but I want it just like that. Yeah. So there, there is a lot of that right now, and you know, funny story. I was working with a guy into the year, and and uh, he was on, he was on a certain tractor, and well, I don't know, it just it don't it don't have this on it. And I think I really want that, and I'm like, all right, that's fine. So he calls back. I said, no, I said that that tractor sold. So then he says, well, what else you got? So I tell him about another one. Well, it doesn't have, and it had, I don't remember what it was, like certain three-point lift or something. And I said, well, it's got that, you know, but it's got, I think it had Michelin tires or something. Well, really want Firestones. I think I'll wait or something, you know. And this, and he was, it was an end-of-the-year deal, you know, right. and we're at, like, the beginning of December, and I'm like, all right. So he calls back, well. You still got that tractor? I think I'll take it. I'm like, no, we sold it. And he goes, son of a bitch, what do you have? So I, he ended, you know, then I ended up having the tractor that had the right, all the right specs on it. I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. I was like, wow, this is like $7 corn again. Mm-hmm. So there, there is, there's a lot of guys out there that, uh, you know, they, they do want stuff specced, right? And I can't blame them. My God, you're going to spend over 200 even you know, even over a hundred thousand dollars, you want the shit right. Let alone over two. Let alone over three. You know, and yeah. and there's if it depending on your time frame and 
and exactly what you're looking for, I don't blame them a bit. You know, I'm not going to buy a PowerShift 1500 front-end tractor when I really want ILS IVT just because it's here. Yeah, it's, it's not – well, that's not how much the market's changed. You know, so think five years ago, we're looking at 2013, 2012, when it was – as long as they you had a tractor on the lot, it didn't matter if it had 700 hours or 200 hours or 1,500 hours. Right. They were going to buy it for whatever price yep. you had it at. Yep. And they needed it for tax reasons or whatever, whatever reason they needed to have it for. And so I don't know. It's just changed so much now to where guys are sitting back going, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to wait till I find exactly what I want to. I got 365 days to find what I need. And I don't, I don't need to do anything with what I got. So they're going to keep moving forward with what's what they have. And, you know, I think our winter service programs are are probably a, a testament to that. You know, some guys are fixing what they got. No, I was running one more year now. No, but when I find what I need, I'm trading this dog off. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's exactly right. right. You know, and if I was a what I what I call a local salesman, I would be back. I would be living in the service manager's office. You know. Okay, these seven pieces are my customers. What's their shop bill? And then I would go back and figure up a deal and see what you could get done. And I think it was either either John or Nate on your year-end podcast were talking about that, and I thought, that's exactly right, man. I would be living there because there's opportunities you don't even think about Till you know, I can remember times when I was, when I was a local salesman, and you know, guy be like, well, we put 20000 in that combine last year. And my initial thought was two things. Boy, that's going to hurt when you trade it, if you're wanting to trade it this year. Mm-hmm. And two, boy, did I screw up that I let that happen. Yeah. You know, that, That's the thing about those, <clears throat> those shop bills that the reason it's so important to me to get in front of that before the customer gets there, it's not because I want to go out and sell a new machine although that is probably second or third on the list. The thing is, when a guy has a – when it's happened in our shop, it's happened in, in every, everybody has the same scenario they can talk about. When you have that 4455 and they put a new transmission in it, right, they spend 15 grand putting a new engine or a new transmission or something like that in, in that 4455, that's basically what it's worth, you know what I mean? And you – you like when a customer comes in and trades that thing in, you just you're not gonna you, you've done him kind of an injustice almost. I want to say like the shop's not taking advantage of anybody. I mean that's what the customer wanted to do, but there's a better there's a better way for that customer to spend his fifteen grand. Oh, and, and more, in a in a more productive fashion where he's gonna get he's going to get more of that money back as a as a as as the time goes on for whatever he does with it, and it might be. Another, two, another thing, too, a lot of customers that spend that kind of money on those machines, they really like that tractor, and they don't ever want to get rid of it. You know what I mean? Yep. So, but there's there's guys that spend 50000 not 50000 They spend $30,000, $25,000, on a $65,000 combine, too. I have, I have a laundry list of examples I can give you that. Well, and that's just, that's, just not, that's just not a wise... Use of their thirty thousand bucks, right? You know, so. Right. But 
But to your point and to John's point and everybody else's point that's brought it up on the on the, all the podcasts that we've done with them, you've got to know what your customers are doing and then help advise them as to what if you spend this kind of money on this machine, this is this is what it's worth, whether you fix it or not. Right. You know, and and advise them that. If they want to keep moving forward with it, great. I love the shop. I love the the uh revenue coming through the shop, that's awesome. But they they probably aren't necessarily thinking that twenty five thousand bucks on a machine like this, you know, what's that look like? That's a pretty good down payment on on a hundred thousand dollar combine. Yeah, on on a combine and they're spending that twenty five, guess what? Your combine's only worth five grand more after you did that. Right. You know, and that's what you know, just like all the years selling machinery. Well, I spent thirty thousand on it last year. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. You shouldn't have. You know, there comes a time when when you cut bait, and and that is that is like a number one in the current both farm economy and machinery world we're living in right now. Yeah. The only other thing I would say about that is there's certain guys, and I have seen it. I've I've heard it and been like, what in the hell? And it's opposite of what you'd be thinking. The bank will let him spend thirty in the shop, but don't you dare even come ask me about trading tractors. Right, and I don't get that. It blows my mind. You right. can spend the same thirty thousand dollars on something and probably put the same asset back on the balance sheet for the same amount of money. Yeah, you know what I mean. You'll get a well, hundred thousand dollar combine. Be in a better position. I know. Yeah, you're yeah way better position. Yeah, but yeah so it's. I, it's a debt to asset ratio thing and whatever. But so you and I were having a philosophical debate the other night via text. And we we're talking about the commoditization of of equipment. And we're going back right. and forth on on our on our various views and and what that looked like. So we were going back and forth, and we were pretty much arguing the same thing. But I think my my point I was making that were the Machine no longer becomes a commodity is when you start looking at what the machine can do for you and how you and how you kind of carve that out. So one of my responses was, you know, combines are a commodity, and if all you're looking to do is to cut wheat, go get a 7720 Titan too, right? You can cut all the wheat that you want to, fix it up, make it run, do what you need to do, go out and get it. But if you want to have, if you're concerned about throughput and and the speed that you can do it and what kind of technology you can use as far as, you know, auto track and all the, you know, guides or the uh, yield mapping and, and all of that stuff, you have to get a newer combine to do that, right? So that's where the, that's when you start looking at what the commod, the commoditization of the equipment comes out. Your argument, I think, was more, and it's correct if I'm wrong here, but was more from a, a supply and demand look at, at what the market is, you know, especially like 12, 13, 14s when there are so many of those that were generated that there is a level of, well, it's the 12, 13s and the 14s are a commodity because they're realistically a dime a dozen and quite frankly, it seems like all of them have 1,200 to 1,500 separator hours on them. Um, Kind of tell me what you think about that. Let's let's kind of carry that that conversation on a little bit. Well, yeah, like, and and you, even though I couldn't wrap my head around it right away, you put it 
nice nicely as the piece of the equipment, whether it be tractor, planter, combine, sprayer, what have you, is a box. And it's what can that box do for me that separates it out of the commodity system, whereas the box itself is a commodity. And and my my thinking is, you know, I I was you're right in your evaluation of what I was saying, you know, but my thinking is more along the lines of not necessarily a combine is a combine and it will harvest was more of a a six eighty is a six eighty. And whether it's a twelve, thirteen, fourteens are still good. I mean, I, I there, there is not a plethora of fourteens out there. And I know you, you lump them together. There, there are in certain pockets, but by and large, a fourteen still holds its weight in the country, and that's been very apparent on auctions here end of the year. Very apparent. Thirteens are soft. Twelves are a little bit worse than a good pair of gloves and a sigh. <laughs> and <laughs> but but what I was talking about with commoditization is a six eighty is a six eighty, you know. And I don't care if you have you got this machine over here with singles and a spreader, two wheel drive, and it is a thirteen. We'll just leave twelves out because they're they're all going to the scrapyard. If you talk to us equipment guys, <laughs> this one's a thirteen. This one over here is a 14, and it's got 650 duels, chopper, power cast, power fold, power wheel reel, you know, everything on it. Like sexy call your neighbors, hey, look at this, look at this. You know, have a barbecue in your farm shop and your combine's the centerpiece. One of them type machines. A 680 is a 680. And if, if you are... You say they're the say they're okay. One's a thirteen, one's a fourteen. Say they're within three hundred separator hours. You know, a hard year running apart from each other. Mm-hmm. I think if people think the gap between those two is monstrous, just because of equipment, I think that's a false belief, and that's where I'm saying they're a commodity. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, obviously, obviously. The 14 with all the sexies on it is going to sell first. Yeah, okay. but what do you think? Why do you think the 14 is in such? Well, so you got there's lots of 12s out there, there's lots of 13s out there, and then the 14s kind of drop off, and then the 15s drop off even further, and then 16, so on and so forth. There's no reason why the 12, 13, and 14 model combine should be should be that much of a spread as far as supply goes, right? So why do you think there's so many 14s laying out there? My my answer to that is they're still making payments on the 14s. Right. So you're looking at coming into 18 years, they've made they made a payment 15, 16, 17. They'll make the fourth payment in um in 18, and they'll probably actually be in the in the their equity position at that point will be at a where they can trade it into something different. Yeah. Yeah, I you're, you're saying you're saying why there's not a lot of them out there. Yeah, for my argument. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right. I think a lot of them are still on the farm with first or second owner. 
Yeah. But I think and, where the difference is in your in your commodity argument, though, where the difference I see it as is that if you have that two-wheel drive spreader combine out there, and then you have the one over here that's sitting right next to it, same number of hours on it, but it's got the tire fold, tire rear, tire cast, you know? Yep. The three powers. You three, have powers. three powers. If you, if you have the, three, the triangle of greatness compared to what you have over there, this machine over here that's got the three powers on it is going to be, it's not a commodity. There's not that many of them. You see what I'm saying? There's more two-wheel drive, just regular combines out there than there are combines that have the goodies on them. That machine yeah, will bring a, in, it'll bring a premium, though. It's going to bring you a premium compared to this machine over here, even though they have the same number of hours on them. Yeah, I think we're both right. I think I think I uh, I'll admit, you know, I'm in the I'm in the bowels of hell of used equipment every day, so. I'm going to have a little more negative outlook about, you know, oh, look at this. This one's fantastic versus, ah, I don't know about this one. And to me, shut up. They're both combines. But that, that same argument, though, depending on where you're at, three powers don't matter. You know what I mean? Well, like where, where we're at, we can't. Four drive doesn't mean anything here. But that, and that's, and that's where, okay, fine. I had a guy today talking on a combine. It was it was the 660 guy, two-wheel drive, right? He says, well, we've never had four-wheel drive. He says, we really don't need it. And I said, okay, you're exactly right. I said, you know what? I said, there's probably a lot of areas where guys don't need it, but they have it and they insist on it. I said, now, what are you doing with your combine? Are you trading it or selling it? He says, well, selling it. I said, exactly. I said, if that combine was four-wheel drive, you opened yourself up to several more areas of the United States where you can sell that combine. So I don't care if a guy is in in Arizona and a dry land farmer in Arizona, right? Nothing, nothing, nothing. That'd be a very dry land farmer. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it exists. But he's the last guy on earth that's going to need four-wheel drive. If it was me... I would buy a four-wheel drive. You know why? Because when I trade it, it's worth more. I don't care if you trade it there. Nobody uses it. It's worth more. And which, no, let me back that up. Because what I just said, Trump's, it wipes out what we're both saying. You're saying it, it. there's certain parts that's not worth more, right? Right. It does not matter if it has it or not. But as, and there, there's two different thoughts of that. As a farmer, and I own that combine, I'll go somewhere where they do think it's worth more because it's on there, thus getting more for my combine. If not, I'll sell it because I can sell it all over the country. Yeah, I didn't care if it's got four-wheel drive, fine. It's there. It's there if you need it. Well, okay, think about this. And as a dealer, I want four-wheel drive on everything. I want four-wheel drive on every damn combine, every size chopper, everything. Because guess what? Do we sell it here? No, we sure don't. But guess what? I can sell that combine in Kentucky, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, all over the place where, boy, I sure wish that comp. That's a nice combine. I sure wish it had four-wheel drive. <clears throat> that's Sinclair auction that we went to. None of those combines were four-wheel drive. No, there was a lot that were. You should. Oh, I, thought, I didn't think many of them were. I thought there was like maybe four or five that were out of all the 20 combines that were on there. 
No, no. I think at least I would have to go back and check the list, but I think at least half of them were, which when I was when I was bidding on them, that was why I was bidding on them. Yeah, because remember, and Dave, Dave Gibson even commented on that that he was surprised in that area ah, there were right. that many four wheel drives. I have to edit that part out. <laughs> yeah, I was I was part of the podcast live, so I don't know if that made it to the finals or not. <laughs> but anyway, they had some. I guess the point I was going to make was when I'm back in Kansas, we couldn't sell two wheel drive combine to anybody back in Kansas, right? And depending on the argument, there's not you don't really need a four wheel drive combine there. You can argue right. both ways now. It gets right. it rains and gets muddy and of course you know need four wheel drive but um, here the same the same thing though if we were to take the four wheel drive combine and put it out here we wouldn't get the same value for it we get the same value for that four wheel drive combine here in the Panhandle Nebraska or in Eastern Colorado or or Eastern Wyoming that we would get for the two wheel drive combine we have sitting right beside it you're you're exactly right. But as a dealer, we'd rather have it be four-wheel drive because it has far more national marketability. Right, You can, but you can argue that both ways, man. You can oh, say yeah. that. And I we think do. This... I think we do once a week argue that both ways until we're blue in the face. And I usually win, and everybody goes home and pounds. Oh, okay. So it is what that's, it is. That's, that's, that's <laughs> not true. That's what they call revisionist history, I think, is what they call that. They um, might. They might. But I think you can take a two-wheel drive combine and move it all over the country as easy as you can a four-wheel drive combine. It's just the pockets of the world that you live in. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm right there with you on the four-wheel drive thing, whether you're in the frozen tundra of Minnesota or the, you know, high plains of, of Texas, whatever you might be, it's going to be the four-wheel drive. There is added benefit to run a four-wheel drive, whether it's muddy or whether it's dry. It does so much for your machine. Your turning capability when you're fully loaded. I mean, all the different things that play into that. Four-wheel drive is a definite benefit, not just because it's muddy, right? Right. You know, I well, remember back in the day, had a had a neighbor. Oh, neighbor when I was a kid growing up, and they have four-wheel drive on their combine. And he said, I will never own another one without it. He says, I've never turned it on for mud. He says, but it pushes me up every hill when it gets, when, you know, when you're, when you're running out of power, you turn that on and just up yeah. the hill. Now, if you're drinking the green and yellow Kool-Aid, power drive fixes that. So, right. well, drive, the, not the other thing drive. too is that, the other thing, well, yeah, I know what you meant. The other thing too is that you have a, a fully loaded combine that weighs 65,000 pounds. 70,000 pounds, something like that, with full grit, take a full grain bin in it, and somehow that full drive is going to push a 70,000-pound anchor through the mud. I mean, it helps. Don't get me wrong, but you're, you're sinking about as fast as you're pushing. You, you, could, you could, I like to, apparently, across all these different avenues that I'm related in social media and this podcast and what have you, always bring up words of wisdom from my father. And one of his things is about a four-wheel drive dually pickup, because I bought one years ago, you know, when I was early 20s, and boy. Of course you did. (laughs) Of course I did. And it was a diesel with a straight pipe, mind you. Nobody that knows me is shocked by that statement. But 
I bought that, and he says, that's just dumber than hell. The only, you know what gets us He says, you know what's worse than a two-wheel drive dually? A four-wheel drive, because you just get stuck worse. And I've heard guys say that about combines. A, if, it's four, if, if, if I need four-wheel drive on my combine, I don't need to be out there. Unless you got yeah. tracks on it. Huh? Unless you're all tracked up. Now, that, I I have seen videos online of a guy, and it was <clears throat> one of them mustard yellow damn combines, but it had four-wheel drive on it and track. Track mm-hmm. tractor, track grain cart, water standing in the field, water flying as he was going, and there wasn't virtually any ruts to speak of. You could see ruts on the end where he turned. Mm-hmm. You know, from all that track shit sliding up a windrow, but berming, that's what we call it, berming. Berming, berming yeah. on the ends, but, you know, that that was kind of kind of pretty damn cool to see something I'm like a, that. I'm a bit of a, of a track head myself, man. I mean, I, right. I, I think there can, if I were a farmer, which I'm not, everything I, love I had. Tracks. Would, I think everything. I put tracks on everything. I mean, I think you're, I really think that your cost of ownership and cost of maintenance is, everyone tells about how, how much more expensive it is, but anymore, you have to go take a four-wheel drive tractor and, and retire it, and especially some of these guys have got triples on them, you're looking at $45,000 to do that, yep. you know, $30,000 just to do the duels all the way around, so I think you can well, yeah. rebuild a... You think- Think about think about where we're at with eight thousands now, right? Right. Yeah. The top half of sizes, everything is ILS front duels. If not, right. it sure as hell should be down south. They're fifteen hundred front duels. Anyway, your row crop tractor, your planting tractor, what have you, has eight tires on it. Yeah. You know, rule of thumb, you take two thousand times eight. That's sixteen thousand dollars. You bought a set of tracks. Also, you're on a set of tracks to 4,000 hours. You still got some track left. You run eight tires to 4,000 hours, and you have that three-legged mule I talked about last summer helping pull you through the field. Right. Right. (laughs) Because they are bald. They are the special edition Firestone Black and Round. Right. Now, one thing to say is when you start looking at replacing undercarriage parts, you can run into some expense there. But that being said, if you had to replace all the tracks and the undercarriage, you're going to be pretty close to what it costs you to retire a full drive tractor. Yeah, and guess what else? Shit wears out on the rear end and front end of a tractor too. Oh yeah, keep that That's in true. mind. Yeah. So there's there and are definitely benefits there. If a guy uh, pays attention to his tracks and takes care of them and gives a shit about them, your undercarriage maintenance, you know, it there is none. As far yeah. as far as high dollar replacement costs, if you get in there and think, "Well, hell, this is great. I don't ever have to do anything till these tracks wear out." Well, then you're going to have a monstrous bill just because a you didn't keep track tension tight, b you didn't check oil, you know, in your in your uh, uh, in your idlers and that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas a little bit of this and that through there gets you a long damn ways. But you know, there's guys that just on the flip side of that, there's guys that hate tracks and never will own a track, and it's the way life yep. is. I got it a buddy a... of mine who everything he has is on tracks. Yeah. And his combine has floater tires, and he really likes the floater tires, but he sure misses the tracks on that. 
hideous, ugly combine. Right. Well, look at some of these, <laughs> look at some of the new tractors coming out now. These super duper four and five and six and seven eight hundred horsepower row crop tractors are coming out with right now, right? Right. So, like eighty four hundred R that comes out, there you can put triples on the back of that. And when you put the triples on that, it doesn't even look out of place. No, it you know what I mean, I'm like, I had to look at it twice before I realized it had triples on it. I just at first glance, you don't catch that it's got the triples on it, right? So, it's like, say, some of these Challenger tractors that are coming out. Have you seen how big on these, on their higher horsepower row crops, how big the rear tires are on them? Yep. They're the size of a house. Oh, they I are. I can't imagine what it would cost to replace one of those from expense-wise. I'm sure someone, someone from a, a Challenger dealer or someone that runs one of those can hit me up on social media and let me know what that what what something like that costs. But my goodness, it is it's just that the tire expense is getting to be such a such a massive thing now that I think I think like you said, track machines are going to be a, a preference. But when you start really weighing the two between each other, because that was the argument for the longest time when I first started in this business was oh track machines are so they're so expensive. They're so expensive. Because of undercarriage costs and tracks and yada yada yada. Now they're about they're about even. There's not much difference between the two. You know what? In fact, this goes back to two thousand late two thousand nine when the eight R's came out. That was the first you know, my heritage is more red when I got started in this business. The launch of the eight R was the first, you know, new deer row crop that I was a part in. And had guys, and I was still local selling at that time, had guys that, you know, very firm track believers. I had guys running 10 series, 20 series tracks that love tracks. Boy, it sure rides like shit, but in the field it's great, you know, and that was always the spiel I would give guys is, yeah, I realize you got to drive this 8520T down the road. I'm fully aware of that, but for what, for its field performance, it more than makes up for the ride down the road. Right. So when the 8Rs came out, I priced a an 8345R, ILS, front duels, you know, all that stuff, versus an 8345RT. The RT, by the time everything's said and done, putting Firestones on the, on the wheel tractor, you know, right size tires, weights on both tractors, everything, the RT was $2,000 less. Yeah. And and that right then was when I was like, oh, well, the old, granted, an 8410 versus an 8410T, there was a hell of a gap back then. Oh, yeah. Yes. But but the wheel tractors have so much stuff added to them now that you basically pick, and it's the same price. Yep. Yep. And a little bit of trivia for you. This goes back to my my, uh, born and raised heritage. Did you know in 1978 there was a tractor you could get from the factory with triples on it? Really? Didn't know that. A Massey Ferguson 2805. 198 PTO horsepower, two-wheel drive tractor. They offered factory triples on it to keep all the power to the ground. Really? Yep. And how many horsepower was that? Uh, I believe it was 198 PTO horsepower. 198 PTO horsepower. Now they feed cows or something like that. <laughs> I know, I know. Now, now that's a uh, well, that's my that's my shredding tractor. Right. 
crazy. And back then, it was so much power they couldn't. They put triples on it to keep it to the ground and shelled out transmissions like like throwing rice at a wedding. Crazy how far. You know, that's funny that you know. Also about that eight four hundred R, and and tip of the hat to Challenger. I think they have what two bigger than that. Well, don't they have a thousand horsepower tractor, row crop tractor, or something like that? No, it's it's not that big. It's a thousand fifty two model number, but it's not a thousand horse. No, got a large crossbar. But it's Sorry. I think it's like five something. But you know, you think about anyway, that's enough of that enough of that mustard yellow. But you think about that eight four hundred R. Okay. That's a rake drop tractor. Do you know what the horsepower rating on an eighty nine sixty is? Close to 400 horsepower. 400 engine horsepower. Right. They turned an 8960, 8970 into a row crop tractor. And back right. then, that thing was a monster. Oh, my God, who needs anything that big? Right. You know, now you have a 400 horsepower row crop tractor. Well, go look at an 8960. You still stand next to one, and it's a massive machine. Right. It's huge. Got you know? a big old wide, sexy hood. It's, it's a... It's as big. Well, let me think about that. But it's it's as big as like a a nine R is a high horsepower nine R. Yeah, you know, I would say they're closer in size. Those those two are closer in size than if you put an eighty four hundred by an eight three sixty. Oh yeah, eighty four hundred is is huge for a real crop tractor. Well, well all, these, all these new ones rolling off the fact, all of them, whether it's a Case one, or the Challenger, or the John Deere, or whoever it is, all that stuff's coming off the fact that right now that those big, humongous row crop tractors are massive, dude. All right, massive. but I, what I was talking about is, like, the, the old 8400. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm with you. Like, yeah. like a 1995 8400, park it next to an 8360R. Right. They're both 8000 series row crop tractors, and it looks like you could put all the parts easily like if they were both boxes, you could drive that eighty four hundred inside that eight three sixty R. Right. No question. Versus the four wheel drives are more, you know, an eighty nine seventy and a nine four sixty R are more closer in general body size. Now, the latest generation of nine R, like I, you know, I did an eval and stuff on a nine four seventy R the other day. And that thing feels like it's twice the size of a 9460R. Right. You know, with the, with the rear fuel tank and all that, like, like, uh, which is funny to me because I am a tractor junkie, but White did that with her four-wheel drives in the late 70s and early 80s. And it's, it's just funny to me. You know, you're looking out the back window and you're like, oh, my God, there's like an entire semi-load of parts back here. And that's just the back half of the tractor. Yeah. You know, and then you get into the, you know, 9620R, and it literally feels like you're driving a village. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're just, they're just yeah. enormous. Yeah. And they're they're cool as hell. And they, you know, as a commodity, hashtag, they have a job. Right. Pulling 60-foot air seeders. That's what their job is. <laughs> eight, eight mile an hour at yeah. idle. Yeah. That's that's okay. So remember the other day, me, you, and Joel and Gino were were uh, eating lunch at that uh, 
uh, whatever that place is down there by the river. Super salads. And oh yeah, and monarch. That's it. And uh, our meadowlark. That's, that's a butterfly. That's a butterfly, right? Um, <laughs> okay, remember we were talking about. I was betting you that in five years that we would we would evaluate our first fully autonomous farm yep. vehicle. Remember that? Yep. Okay, so uh, we were doing these, doing these meetings with lenders the other day, and Justin Childress, our our ISG um, director, was talking. I asked him like. How far away are we from having fully automated vehicles? And he's like, if we have the technology now, we could absolutely do it. It's just getting it out there, right? So next day he sends me an email. There's a company called Smart Ag that you can buy a buy this program, the software, put it in a 2000 or newer uh, John Deere tractor. They only have it for John Deere now. And it will completely 100% drive itself without anybody in it. The example I used was a guy like, kind of like our leader follower technology, where they have a guy can control the the uh, grain car tractor, and then it'll go where it needs to go. But the freaky thing about it is that it actually remembers where where it went and where the combine went, and knows where the combine went. So it can tell the difference between like people standing in its way or standing corn or or whatever it is. <clears throat> It'll it'll know it can knows all that stuff and sees all that stuff and it can go around, go back up, load the unload the combine and go over dump it in the uh, the, the grain trailer and come back and get it. Nobody's in the machine and it's not as expensive as you think. If I'm reading it right here, it looks like it was like twenty five thousand bucks or something like that. But that's the uh, not that far away from me winning a bet. But okay. That is a regular tractor with with full autonomy put in it. Right. So that would not win a bet. No. Well, I just say I'm close to winning a bet. I still got. I still have a solid five years to go before <laughs> I have to pay out on anything. I'm, I'm that, talking. I'm talking. I'm talking fully autonomous, like that red company likes to show off that thing at farm shows, even though you never, ever, 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 ever see it move. Right. They sure like to haul it everywhere and park it on wood chips and be, hey, look at that. Right. That's what right. I'm talking about. Like, the damn thing doesn't even have a cab. If you wanted to ride along, you can't because there's nowhere to sit. Right. Well, Deer had the same thing. I've seen it a million times. I've actually watched the same thing. I've seen a video or two of it actually working. But they, they had the, the old school. Thing. The old school part of me probably, my eyes glazed over and I didn't pay attention. I probably went, ugh, in disgust and didn't pay any attention. One of, the, one of the calendars had it in it. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it was little. It was little. Yeah. I, I guess I referenced that 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 uh, gross red thing because it's it is a you know three hundred horsepower row crop tractor set up that way. Yeah. Well, and as far as putting autonomy in a tractor, the uh, blue planter blue grain cart people have that. Yeah. They've been yeah. showing that off for two three years. Yeah, there's a what it has like onboard navigation, onboard machine learning system, so it learns as it goes. External long, external long range radar, external cameras, antennas, external hardwire, e-stop button, handheld e-stop button, steering, speed controller, long range Wi-Fi. I mean, it's legit, man. Like they can, they're selling it now. Like they're gonna sell it this year. Like you can go get it this year and put it on a tractor. Uh, 
Where is that company based out of? Is it American? Oh yeah, yes. Okay. Pretty. I mean, guys like uh, Iowa State grad or something like that. His name okay. is. His name is. Hold on, hold on. He's gonna get his. He's gonna get his Moving Iron podcast shout out. He's gonna get a plug. Colin Hurd. He's the founder and CEO. Graduate of Iowa State University. So Colin yeah, Hurd. A, yep. <clears throat> so he's a. Uh, so I That's thought not that, man, his I name like, man. is Colin Cowherd. He's a no. uh, sports radio talk host. Different guy. Different, Different guy. guy. <laughs> so I was, I saw that man. I was like, man, I'm gonna. Channel's gonna owe me lunch in five nope. minutes. Nope. <laughs> Gotta be a, a ta- an autonomous machine, not a machine with autonomy on it. I don't know if that's. Right or not? I don't know if that's actually how that that phrase or those words go together. That is how it went. That's that's why I took the bet. But no, I'm saying I still got five years though. So when that comes up, yeah, we'll see. Looking forward to it. Okay. Well, man, we've been going for a little bit here. We better better shut it down. So before we do that, you have anything that you want to add? I don't. I guess I don't. I think we kind of covered everything, and I sure sure enjoy these spitballing sessions, and it's it's fun to just. Just talk machinery business, and if anybody is a uh, tractor geek, look me up, and let's talk shop. There you go. Okay. Well, Aaron, thanks for being on the podcast. You bet. All right, man. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Aaron for being on this edition. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit, movingironllc.com. Here you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and present episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from Moving Iron Blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform, or you can shop at Amazon through the Amazon click-through at movingironllc.com. It won't cost you anything, and you'll still have the same experience you're accustomed to while supporting the podcast. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.